0: Eight or so years ago, I read a book I've been recommending ever since. It's called Jumpstart Your Business Brain, which is listed on several top 100 business books of all time. The author is Doug Hall, who is an expert and pioneer in innovation engineering. Doug is our guest on this week's edition of CFO Bookshelf. I'm Mark Gandy, and we're going to jump right into the conversation with Doug. Before we talk marketing, innovation, engineering, Eureka, and Leap Ideas, I just had to ask Doug about his trip to the frigid North Pole.
1: <laughs> well, um, I had learned about this guy, Paul Shirky, up in northern Minnesota, who had done, the after Admiral Perry, the first unsupported trip. And it sounded... I went duck sledding with him, and this idea of Arctic going to the top of the earth, somewhere at midlife, I just decided it was a place I had to be. And, of course, I had no business doing it, (laughs) Um, but uh, it was phenomenal. The the North Pole is called the Horizontal Everest. Um, It's a bit whacked because you travel forever, and when you get there, It's no different than it has been all the time before that. Um, There's no barber pole there. There's no Bugs Bunny. It's just a shifting sheet of ice that continues to move two or three miles uh, a day, which is hard to even understand how all of that ice can be moving. Um, But it is gloriously beautiful. The whites and the blues and the scene, it's it's a spectacular place to go.
0: So what are you going to do your Ernst Shackleton trip down to the South Pole?
1: Um, I'm not, I don't think so. I, I, I'm not, uh, the, the The North is different in the, uh, the change. The South Pole is, is more tundra, um, less visually stimulating. Um, it's a bit of a grind from what people say. So if, if you've got a bucket list, fine. But otherwise, it it's just doesn't have the magic. I, I also was a big fan of Admiral Peary, was from Maine, as I am, and uh, uh, just a fascinating guy. Very good with systems, with the science. I mean, he truly – people that do explorations now with base camps and shuttles and that, oh, all of that to him. He's the guy who created all of those systems that we use today to, to do adventures.
0: Hey, you have a you have a very fascinating background. I think you worked at P and G. Was it eight, nine, ten years? So I know that was a formidable. I mean, you learned a lot during that time period. How, how important was that as you jump? No pun intended. Jump started uh, your consulting practice.
1: P and G, and especially back then, which was some, quite a time ago, um, taught fundamentals of business and taught a philosophy of how to look at business and how to manage, how to run things um, that is still within me and within my company. I mean, it's very, very similar. Those fundamentals that I learned back then uh, were critical to it. Um, And I'd say I probably learned those principles over the first five years as I moved up through the ranks, as they say. And then the second five years when I led the invention team, is when I started pushing the edges. And I had basically a simple system, which was January 1st and July 1st, I would look up and say, was I smarter than I was six months before? And when I was, I stayed. And then one January, I wasn't, so I left. It was that simple. And I basically, I I retired from corporate life. Uh, My father would have said that I was unemployable anyways, and how the hell did you get 10 years out of them? But, uh, um, it was it was fundamental. I mean, they it's a phenomenal company with some deep values and roots that were um, invaluable, frankly.
0: And then I want to learn. I want to hear more about Eureka Ranch. I just find that whole what you do there is fascinating. Now, I've never never been a customer, never been a client, but tell us more about what is Eureka Ranch. What is it? Why is it? Who who's your typical client, and so on?
1: So this this it it's changing as you would expect after four years. Understood. Um, I mean, otherwise you wouldn't still be here. Um, the The flagship product is Eureka Inventing, which we're now on our eleventh version of, um, and which is basically just like the name Eureka with an exclamation point is how we spell it. it says uh, our specialty has always been those big ideas, those non continuous leaps those things that are patentable breakthroughs um, to either invent or reinvent an existing business. And that's been the the, the flagship. We built systems to enable us to do that reliably, reproducibly. It's about science with some art, but a heavy amount of science and the methods to be more effective. Just like an athlete learns how to throw a football better by getting better fundamentals. We learned how to get better fundamentals, how to make it work. And and so about 10 years ago, we decided to start to teach people this. And we started this movement called innovation engineering, taught on campuses, graduate students, undergraduate, and at corporations, Toyota and others, um, where they they learn how to do what we call system-driven innovation. Approaching new ideas as a system of interconnected parts. And that movement has grown Um, and, like everybody, become very digital. And we have a remarkable learning system called Cycles to Mastery, which is actually pretty much, I think it's about the most effective online learning system that you could have. And so now we have a platform, uh, 104 courses, classes. Uh, You can get certification, you get college credit, you can get badges. And so one part of the company is inventing. And the other part is education where we're teaching people systems for thinking smart, faster, and more innovatively. And the credibility for that education is the fact that we walk the talk and we actually do it. And unlike others who teach, but don't practice, we actually do the work actually do the stuff for people. Um, And that's what we do. It's all about big ideas and helping people get there.
0: For the big Steve blank fans out there, which I am and the people who like the lean startup, Eric Reese, who, by the way, Steve Blank was his teacher. Uh, what would, what would you say is the difference if you, I'm I'm sure, you know, you know a little bit about Steve Blank, his work, what would you say is the difference between lean and innovation engineering
1: data and math and research quantitative, not qualitative, um, sales forecasting, um, making it actually get through the organization. Um, Lean tends to be good for incremental changes. Um, Ours is really about those things that disrupt multiple parts of the organization and you bring them along with you. Um, And as opposed to a startup, a, a misperception that people have is that it's about the big Eureka. That innovation is about, you know, discovering this big idea and that that's gonna make the difference in the world. The re- that's told by people who've never done it. The reality is 90% of what we teach in innovation engineering is not done in the define and discover phases, the startup phases. It's done in the development and delivery phases. That's where all the heavy lifting is. Okay, and if there's one thing, part of why I created innovation engineering is I got fed up with being the idea guy that they would come to get a big idea from. And then they'd screw it up, not because they wanted to, but because their systems were so damn broken, they couldn't execute anything. They just couldn't do it. When you talk to people who've been in this business for a long time, of which I'm now one of those old ones, you find that the issue is not ideas. Freaking ideas are nothing. It's the development system. What we don't need is a startup system. We need a better development system. We need a better system for taking the idea, juggling the trade-offs, and optimizing for the whole to make it work. It's in the shipping and executing. This is so bad that when people get together to create ideas, if they don't believe in their ability to execute, they sub-optimize their ideas doing much smaller ideas because they say, well, that's not being reasonable. That's not being reasonable. And so what they end up with is a small variation on a theme that doesn't matter and doesn't make a difference in the marketplace. I mean, big ideas make a meaningful difference. That uh, Another way to think about it is, would a customer be willing to pay more money for your offering? If they won't, it's not an innovation. And this fundamental dynamic, this focus on the startup is fine but it doesn't solve the problem. The problem is making it real, taking it through the system and making it real. We know factually that when an idea goes into development and then it comes out of development and we do a sales forecast on it, when it goes in its potential and what it is after it's been developed, that the ideas lose half their value. I mean, it's the killing zone. So if you want bigger ideas, you got two options. Set your standards at the front. Double what you need to get. Or fix the freaking system. So that instead of compromising, we're optimizing. And and it's just, a, it's, it's just a different thing. Executives love blaming the idea. Because... They just say, you know, it, it, they get to offload it. It's like during the 80s when they offloaded quality to a quality person and didn't take responsibility for it. When you offload it to somebody to just do the idea, and you say, well, we don't have any ideas. Well, no, that's not the problem. The problem is your system. As Demi said, 94% of the problem is the system, 6% is the worker. And it's the system of development that's broken. And we need to engage that culture so that instead of compromising, they find a way to make things happen.
0: We've mentioned, you've mentioned innovation, engineering. Let's just get a definition for that term.
1: Well, I mean, the words are very specifically chosen. Engineering is applied science. Okay, I have a degree in chemical engineering. A chemist studies molecules. A chemical engineer applies the learning of chemistry in in production, in field. It's applied. Innovation engineering is about applied innovation. It's not theoretical creativity. It's not theoretical. It's applied. And and it's done with a reliable and reproducible system. That's the term engineering.
0: You mentioned dimming a few minutes ago. Dimming has had a big influence on everything that you do. It's, it's, it's part of the, really the heart and mind of Eureka Ranch. What is that dimming influence?
1: Well, and, and Deming is the basis for all of lean, all of Six Sigma. Exactly. Yes. Um, of course, for those who don't know him, look him up, you'll be blown away. This is a guy probably has more impact on business than any human in the last hundred years with regards to how things operate. Um, after Japan, after World War II, negative net worth. He goes there and he transforms Japan. Eighties, it's chaos. In the U.S., he helped save America. Um, some learned it well, some didn't. My dad happened to work with him when he first came back from Japan. Oh, he that's did when first engaged in it. And so, Deming is about approaching things as a system of interconnected parts, not a process. I mean, that's those are step by things. but a system is independent parts that work together to accomplish a common end. And so the basis of our work is about systematizing, so to make it reliable and reproducible. If I go back to 1980, I was in a paper mill, and they was just starting to come this in. I remember a guy working on the paper machine saying, you know, they think they can put a system on this, but they can't. I built this machine. I know this machine. You can't have computers running A machine like this. Well, it's the same thing now with innovation. People say, I have the gift. Well, that's fine, but your gift isn't working. We have a 95% failure rate, okay? So I don't need your gift. I need something more reliable and reproducible. You know, for most companies, if they took all the money they spent on innovation and they went to Vegas and put it on a roulette wheel, they would have more money after that spin than they have now.
0: That's scary.
1: On average. It's chaotic. It's chaotic. And so I'm a great believer in systems. Instead of blaming the people, change the systems. The problem is, is most of our creativity training tends to come from the world of entrepreneurship, which I love entrepreneurship and creative, and I love the arts. I'm big fans. I'm, I'm not excluding those. But the problem is, is the people that ship aren't like that. They tend to be it's like 75% left brain, logical rational. So what you need is a system that can work for logical and rational people. And that's why innovation engineering, the name speaks to those people. CFOs who are notoriously not a big fan of innovation. And rightly so, because they get lied to by a bunch of marketing people and they never hit the numbers, okay? CFOs actually endorse innovation engineering Because of its rapid cycles of learning, which we share with Lean, and quantification of learning uh, on a very rapid test basis. I mean, in one case with our our whiskey company that we've got, I mean, we did 72 cycles in seven days. That's speed, okay? But it's not because we were geniuses, just like the Indy Pit crew can do it fast. We just had better systems. And it's the systems of innovation, the systems of research, the systems for patenting, the systems for design. Um, That's the thing that we need to learn, and that's what we teach.
0: We've been talking about your book, Driving Eureka, which was published in 2018. There's one other concept I want to bring up. It's It's a framework you have, Smarter Core Leap. You want to jump in and explain what those three words mean?
1: So when it comes to ideas, um, we'll have, you know, just working smarter things that you need to just do, which is just getting out of your way, which you should be able to do if your system's right, fast and easy to do those. And I mean, kind of overwork them. Then you've got core ideas, which are incremental improvements and never ending continuous improvement. That's key in making a business work. And then you've got the leap ideas. And the leap ideas are the transformational. They're the ones that change the trajectory of where you're going. When you do those, eighty-five percent of your portfolio should be on the core or incremental innovations, because you got to feed the beast. You got to keep making better. Yes. Competition yes. doesn't stop. You got to keep going. Fifteen percent should be on leap, the transformational. However, I should let you know that when it comes to the return that you're going to get, the amount of incremental money you will make. 50% will come from that 85% of core, and 50% will come from the 15% that are leap. The leap changes the economic model for you. That's the thing that's missing at most companies. That's what our specialty for 40 years has been, is those disruptive ideas. The ones that truly set your company off to make more money.
0: I do want to get into the book that's my favorite. And again, I think I mentioned to you earlier before we started, I read this book back in 2013, Jumpstart Your Business Brain. I love that book. And I'm hoping you've had a lot of people say, Doug, one of the best books I've ever read. I don't know if you meant it to be a marketing book, but to me, it is probably the number one, the best marketing book I've ever read. And I just want to hit the three points real quickly. I'm just going to mention the first one. I'm going to shut up. Then the second one but overt benefit, overt benefit. Just jump in and say anything you want to about overt benefit.
1: Yeah. So so first, let me just give you a little part because it's a book in two parts. Yes. And and it's people have been very kind. It's been selected among the 100 top business books of all time, multiple times. Even now, at its age, it still makes that list, which is just uh, just incredibly nice of them. But there's two parts to it. One part of the book is how to create ideas. Right, right and where we deal with the fundamental principles of that. The other half is about how to then package those ideas up and to know where you're going. Basically how to know it when you see it. And overt benefit is really about, um, today we call it meaningful uniqueness. And it is that uniqueness, but that matters. I mean, you can be very unique and just plain weird. Dancing elephants are weird. There's not much value to them, except I guess they're entertaining, but that's about it. But meaningfully unique means it's a difference that matters. In fact, it matters so much that a customer is willing to pay more money for it. Um, And so that's fundamental to it.
0: Real reason to believe. Real reason to believe. Jump in.
1: Yeah. So when you're promising something that no one's seen before, then especially in today's world with the flim flam artists that that is the internet with no regulation, then there's a tendency to not believe. It's like, how could that be possible? How could that even be possible? And so real reason to believe is that you're going to deliver on the overt benefit. What's the well how why should I believe that it's actually going to happen?
0: And then finally, dramatic difference, which you kind got of to hit on over benefit. These all somewhat overlap, but yet they're different. Dramatic yeah, difference. It's a
1: three-legged stool. And, and it's the key is that the dramatic difference has to come in one of the other two, either in the benefit of what you're giving me that's meaningful, that I can't get it anywhere else. It's the first that I can get this. Or it can be, um, let me take the stereotypical ones. Um, Wealth management, uh, beauty care products, I mean, they're going to promise you to look beautiful, they're going to promise you to get rich. Um, It's not a different benefit that you're promising, but the reason to believe that this time it will actually work has to be really dramatically different than what anybody else has done before.
0: And these are not just obviously not shallow words. The other favorite part I liked about in this first part of the book is you talk about Any business that can articulate in writing or audibly, there is a percentage increase that they will perform much better. So, for example, if I can communicate my overt benefit, I'm going to be percentage points much higher than the person who cannot clearly communicate their overt benefit. So I don't want to give everything away, but in the book, you you have some data science that supports businesses who can articulate these, the answers to these three questions, which I thought, again, was outstanding that you did that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the data is real clear, Um, but it's not surprising. Confusion is not a strategy for getting customers to buy. And the more work it takes for them to figure out why they should care, the less likely they are to do it, especially online situation. I'll, I'll tell you, I think the problem people are having with online is when we do something in person, we can pick up nonverbal cues and we can adjust and adapt when the customer's confused. In an online world, our need for precision is much greater. Because if they get confused, they click out. And so your need to be absolutely clear what's in it for them and what are they getting and why they should believe is so fundamental in an online world that we have to be much more precise. And I think that when people do that, um, when they get that better precision then the online works better. The other part of this, which is interesting, um, where we're going today, I just finished a, a, a big chapter for a Journal of Psychology, big encyclopedia, uh, um, and I wrote the first chapter ever for this psychology uh, journal on innovation and product development. And so I spent a lot of time looking at psychology. And out of this has come a new focus that you'll hear more about. It's in Eureka 11.0, and we're going to hear more about it next year, is, there, is everybody wants to have diversity and inclusion. They want to get diversity and inclusion happen. Absolutely, right. I actually have data that shows that doing that is not just the right thing to do. It can cause an exponential growth in the potential of your ideas. It's not additive. It's not multiplicative. It's exponential, the power of diversity. And so what we're doing today is we are building classes that are focused around tapping into the minds that we have in our organizations. We don't do a great job bringing all of that in. And that's why ideas at the front, they then hand it to the factory and the factory says, what the hell are you doing? I can't do that. And so how can we get more of these people together to make this work and leverage this diversity in a productive way, not a destructive way and, and to make that happen, and I think where you're going to see things moving to, it's not singing we are the world and everybody loves each other. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is training all of those different thinking styles so that we can capture the wisdom of them as we go through the process so that we're working smarter, faster, and more creatively because we're working together instead of against and in a culture where stupid has taken over, and I'm not, I'll take everybody's sides on this one. This is where I think the next big movement is going to happen. It's going to be in leveraging the brain power of all of the people that we've got because we have fewer people. We got to get more from them. And so our latest courses and our programs that we're doing are all being built around this diversity, inclusion and making more money. And those almost sound like they should be contradictions. They're not. And the data is absolutely clear. The more you leverage diversity, the more likely you are to be massively successful.
0: When we talk to, or when I talk to CEOs, CFOs, business leaders, business managers, what book should I recommend to them first? I usually start with Jumpstart Your Business Brain first, but of the three Jumpstart books, or it can be one of your other books, which do they start with first?
1: Um, I, I would start with Driving Eureka.
0: Driving Eureka, um, the latest one, which, by the way, is a-
1: the latest one. Really encapsulates and puts together the the concept of system thinking is in all of my books. It is. I mean, even the North Pole book has it in it, and, and it talks about it. But it really developed as we built the innovation engineering platform out into a cohesive embodiment. And so I would start with with driving Eureka because that really, especially for a CEO, I mean, it gives them a sense of it's speaking to their role in the process. Now, if you're a practitioner, and I'm not saying that CEOs shouldn't be creating ideas, they should be, but let's just put that aside. If you're somebody that's running a team, then some of the others for whether it's creative methods or research methods or facts um, for marketing brain, uh, are useful, but the starting place, especially for leaders, would be the driving Eureka book.
0: And I I would definitely agree with that, because as I was going through it, I thought this just puts everything together, but I still love those Jumpstart books. And you you said something about systems thinking, and I want to go back to that. You said one of your books, Jumpstart, I think it was Jumpstart Your Business Brain, is one of the top 100 books on a lot of different book lists. There's another top 100 book, it's uh the fifth discipline i believe by uh is it, if i if i can say his last name right peter sinja my question uh, is yeah, yeah. yeah my question is how come people don't incorporate systems thinking into the workplace uh again i have a theory but we don't hear enough about systems thinking again in my opinion agree or what what are your thoughts
1: yeah i mean what's what's bizarre about this is that you know our finance departments for an audit, there's a system you follow. There's a system. right? Our manufacturing processes have standard operating procedures. There's a system we follow. Um, very good sales organizations have a very much a system. But when it comes to the overall running of the organization, there are areas of the company that do everything they can to avoid systems thinking for fear that it reduces their value, I guess. And also because it's hard. Because it means you're not going to know all the answers. You're going to work together with others. That means you have to give and take. And you have to work for the good of the whole. And that's a very different thing to do. And especially when people have become leaders of organizations, the ego Because they were successful with this and this and this is that they they are the answer person as opposed to the coach and the facilitator of the system.
0: I keep uncovering articles by Peter Drucker thinking, oh, wow, this is my favorite article. And then I'll read another one. But I do think if you go all the way back to 1994 in HBR, there's an article called The Theory of Business and I don't even have to tell you what the, the topic is or, or tell you what it's about. The title tells you everything. You talk a lot about testing and innovation is really, does it start with a theory and, and then just vetting that out? Is that part of is that part of the innovation engineering process?
1: Well, yeah. I mean you can call it scientific method, you can call it plan do study act, which is different than plan do check act. Yes which is for implementation. Plan Do Study Act is for discovery, um, which is the way Deming used it. Um, well, we're trying to make a leap into the unknown to do something we haven't done before. Because if we do the same thing we've always done, we're going to get the same results. And you know, cloning isn't profitable. Um, it's just much less profitable. Each, each person that enters doing the same thing makes less and less money. We know these facts. This is a fact. In order to do that thing that is new, there's an inherent risk. And so you need a plan, do, study, act, where plan, you set the hypothesis of what it is, do you, you run a test, study, you find out why it worked or why it didn't work, and then check. You usually just go right around again. And the key is the faster you can turn the cycle, the faster you make money. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's really that simple. Cycle time is the whole thing. And that willingness to confront the reality, and instead of declare and defend, it's a test and learn mentality, gets you to a very different place. And so it is fundamental. And it's interesting. Drucker's office in New York was down the hall from Deming's. And they had a big to-do early on about management by objective. And Deming went to him and said, I don't, this management, this management by objective of setting numbers and driving people to numbers is going to kill business. And Drucker told him, you're right. That's not what I intended. The objective was the strategic direction, right. not the numeric number. And it got used as a way to beat the workers with numbers, as opposed to leadership setting the direction like the military does now with commander's intent.
0: And Drucker would go on to say he regretted even insinuating that. My question for you is, when you have a new product, how in the world do you go about even forecasting the sales? So you mentioned at Eureka Ranch, a part of your process, part of your training, part of your education is is forecasting. I'm just curious, where do you start?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's, it's actually not that... um, difficult. Um, there's a thing called a Fort Woodlock, it's the academically validated, industry validated forecasting trial and repeat model, that's the most fundamental model there is. Um, and so people can look up Fort Woodlock and just see what it is. And it works in all industries, business to business consumer. And it takes the number of population, the trial rate, the distribution repeats, additional repeats per repeater, and it's just very methodical. And then the, the thing that's a little piece to it is the power of word of mouth, which you have to be able to put in, which we validated a model for doing that. So so I've got a model that forecasts it, and it is the one. There is no second one, by the way. It is the one. It is the one, especially for selling services or products. Now, although I've seen it used also for, for fundraising as well. Um, the problem is I don't know the inputs. So... What do we do when we don't know inputs? See, this is why CFOs love us. What you do is you do a risk adjusted forecast. Instead of doing a point number, or the way most, some numbnuts do it, they pick the number they need and they say, that's the number. There's no basis for how that number's gonna happen. It's just a made up number. And so what you do is, is you look at each one of those inputs that you need, whether it's trial, awareness, repeats, pricing, whatever it is. And there's a distribution around each of those. Some we can measure by running a consumer test and we get a mean and a standard deviation and it immediately gives me my curve. I know the probability distribution around that number. I, I, it's a known, it's a known thing, it's easy. In some cases I have to estimate it. And so I make a guess as to what is, there's a one in five chance, that there's only one in five chance it'll be below this number. There's only one in five chance it'll be above this number. And with that, I can draw our probability curve. And then we run a Monte Carlo simulation and we introduce the thing 10,000 times in a virtual space. And it takes a nan, you know, microseconds to do this now with computers. And we get a distribution that says your probability, you have an 80% chance that your sales will be at least this, only a 20% chance that it's going to be above this. And our mean, the median guess is right here. Now I've got something to work with most importantly, we then take each one of those input numbers and we have a we see which ones have the highest uncertainty in other words where are the ones where the curve is really wide not narrow if it's narrow it's a very specific if it's a very broad distribution then it's a much more difficult thing to be able to forecast and so what we do is is we take and look at those and then the team starts to do work on driving out the variance in that input, and by reducing the variance of that input, we get tighter and tighter things. And so, our development process is driven by driving out risk in the sales forecast. Does that sound like a CFO's dream? Yes. It is. Yes. It's that easy. This is not rocket science to do this. We already know these things. Now, the implementation of it, it can be clunky. We've automated that. We've got software that does that, and the companies can use it, and people can run things. But this is all doable. There's absolutely no reason to not do this.
0: What is what is the role we've been talking about CFOs? What is the role for financial leaders in this entire innovation process? Do they do they have a voice at the table? Do, you, uh, do they, what 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 value can they bring to this process?
1: You know, the CFO role, especially as accountings become more automated and there's more things like that, the, the great ones are becoming much more part of the business situation. And that sales forecasting system and having integrity in it and moving from the role of being the judge and jury, taking potshots at numbers, but being part of the process. So to teach people how to make smarter financial decisions and that are driving the variants that are in those numbers, um, it's invaluable. I mean, I've got a we have a spinoff company, a whiskey company that we run. And I got to tell you the math without the math, I can't have a company.
0: That's you know? re- That's interesting to hear.
1: Fundamental to everything that we do. I mean, when I get off here, I'm going back into some more math. We're looking at for a new thing that we're doing next year and understanding that math and where the variances in the math teams, especially right brain creative types. They don't want to do the math because that's constraining to them. Well, to them I say, okay, I don't want to do your salary calculations either, because that's constraining to me. Get over it. Okay. No math, no project. And I have two things. No math, no project, no patent, no project. It's as simple as that. You insist on patents and math early on in the process, and most of your failures will go will vaporize immediately. It's it's that simple. It's that simple. And so it, it's is important for finance people To get engaged in this, to learn and do this, because the roles of that monkey in the middle that keeps the parts going away, they've been abdicated and there's nobody there to do it. And to me, the math is the best way to do it.
0: I want to do another plug for Eureka Ranch. It's hard for me not to notice. There are some huge, big names. This is like a who's who list. Uh, so you're serving big companies, but you also, this is also for smaller businesses too, right?
1: Well, that's the power of the internet is it's made it possible for us to put together trainings and, and courses and classes and winning ways and different things that we can do. Um, and so we've got thousands upon thousands of small and mid-sized businesses that, 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 um, they use the stuff that courses are amazing. You can take them online, um, you know, of course, in-person classes are all gone today. Um, you know, one day in the future, we'll be back to doing those. But it is, um, it's, uh, yeah, you can do it. I mean, you can, you can do it. And the companies, yes, we've worked with a lot of companies. Um, that just means I'm old and I've been around a long time. So that's you're
0: young, Doug. You're young, young at heart, too. Hey, I want to wrap this up. Uh, who are some of your favorite influencers? I mean, God, I'm, we're not recording the the video, but you got a, a gazillion books behind you. But I'm I'm curious. Who are some of your favorite influencers?
1: Depends on which dimension you're talking about. Um,
0: we can say business, or we can say whiskey. <laughs> Um, the spirit. Well,
1: in, in the business in the business world, it, I mean, it's it um, the, the rock foundation of everything that I do is Deming, and mm-hmm. you read out of the crisis and you read Deming's book, and it's like you're reading it today. Substitute in it lack of innovation for quality issues, and you you know you, you get it. I mean, it's it's just amazing. It is amazing how good that is. So Deming would absolutely be the first of, of the first. The second would be. Dr. Benjamin Franklin, um, and in fact, up this way, you can't see it from where you are. Maybe you can see if I tilt it up there. Uh, maybe I can do it this here. Oh wow! You
0: know those white books. Of yes, white I do. Books? Yes,
1: that's the complete works of Ben Franklin.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: Everything he ever wrote is what it is, and um, to me, Franklin um, embodied that. Um, inventor, entrepreneur, systems thinker, um, writer. Um, And so I've always had a lot um, connected to Franklin um, to do it. In a more contemporary standpoint, well, actually not even that contemporary because it's back a while. But the guy that influenced me as I was starting Eureka when I retired from corporate life would be Tom Peters. just the way Tom was able to push the edges with things and do it. And he was, he's been very kind to me. He's written nice things for me and forwards to books and stuff. And he is, he's he, amazing, amazing guy who was able to see things ahead of what other people could do.
0: He's brilliant.
1: Um, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not a big fan. So I hosted a radio show for a couple of years on national public radio and where we would do, um, you know, they'd send all the books and that in and stuff. And I'm I, i, I I'm really more of a fan on people that have done it multiple times. In other words, anybody can get lucky. You can roll a dice and get lucky on something. You know, and, and though he's overspoken of the 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 genius of Steve Jobs was how many times he did it. That's the amazing part is that he didn't just get lucky once. He, he wandered in the wilderness and did it again, again, and again. And um, and so those that have stood the test of time, I am more of a fan of than sort of short-term, maybe it's I've seen so many come and go. I've seen so many fads come and go when it comes to innovation and creativity and ideas. Um, and they don't know the art. They don't know the science of it. Uh, they're not common with the literature. That pop culture icons as opposed to, you know, people that have d- done the good battle and uh, survived and thrived.
0: I was going to ask you your favorite books, but you've already hit some of those. So let me ask the final question. And I ask this periodically to guests, and I especially want to hear yours because I've heard you and seen you a few times in, in, some youtube videos so one thing i know about you doug you're always smiling and you have a ton of energy and so i want to know if you're doing a tedx talk at your local community college and this would be like the nine minute variety ted talk what would be your presentation
1: it's interesting i've, I've talked with some ted talk people and they, they wanted me to do one recently but it wasn't social distanced in that so i Opted out. I just decided to not, not do it because we're not taking risks on that. Um, today, um I think people need, I mean, let's 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 set aside the inclusion story and the diversity story and coming together, which is fundamental what we got to do. I'm gonna put that aside because that's sort of iconic and big, and that's real that's that's what all should be talking about. How do we come together? How do we come together? How do we come together? Everything should be on that right now. We must all hang together, and most assuredly, we'll all hang separately, Franklin said. But pulling that back, our whiskey business, um, where we make whiskey, and in fact, around the country, you can get one of our products. It's called Noble Oak. Um, It's a bourbon, a double oak bourbon, the Sherry Oak Staves. And it's done in partnership with Edrington that makes the Macallan. And we've got it all around the country. And we manufacture it here, right here on site. The whiskey business would be what I would talk about. And I wouldn't talk about it specifically for, you know, to learn that we make amazing whiskeys. But the whiskey business shows people how to reinvent a business model and what a truly leap idea is. Because I think many times people don't know what a leap idea is. We do a process called Woodcraft Finishing, where we take Young Spirit and make it world-class quality. I mean, literally some of the top products in the world. But instead of just making it to make whiskey, we use this to create custom whiskey where everybody can have their own whiskey, returning to our roots of 1800s when everybody would have their own whiskey. And so we're able to do custom whiskey at a reasonable price. And just the whole concept of taking a staid industry like whiskey, where you say, well, you can't do this, you can't do this, government rules, regulations that are ridiculous. And showing people how you can do that, showing them the journey of how we reinvented and do it. I think people need heroes that, because they can't even imagine bigger than they are. And especially with this COVID thing, we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller in our thinking. And I think they need to have examples of transformational leaps so to inspire them. And given that TED Talks are far more about inspiration than they are about education, uh, for a TED Talk, that's what I would talk about in believing you can and showing them the systems to do that.
0: Doug, thank you very much. In our show notes, we have, we'll have links to Eureka Ranch, to all of your books. And again, I appreciate the time. And thank you for having such an influence, uh, even in my uh, consulting career. It means a lot.
1: Well, Mark, you're very, you're very welcome. And it is always wonderful to hear, I mean, of you spend a lot of time writing these books and and I've, I have a co-author and a couple. That, and we're just de- dear dear friends, and we've had a lot of fun together doing it David record. but the recent ones, recent years I'm pretending to write myself, but uh, all myself. but um, the, it is a long journey to do it. And so when you hear from people that it made a difference, it's what makes it all worthwhile. So
0: Ed, we'll call that a wrap with Doug Hall. Doug, thank you very, very much, and thank you for your books. Again, the three books we recommended were Driving Eureka, Jumpstart Your Business Brain, Jumpstart Your Marketing Brain, and I'm going to be checking out his book about his trip to the North Pole. We'll have that in the show notes. And also to learn more about Doug's work along with innovation engineering, check out EurekaRanch.com. For Bruce Reed, who is on assignment this week, I'm Mark Gandy. Thank you for listening to CFO Bookshelf. CFOs, VBs of finance, controllers, staff accountants, financial analysts, FP&A professionals, and all other financial leaders. Thank you for listening to CFO Bookshelf.